Welcome back to episode 9 of Two Cops and a Donut. I'm your host, Dirk Mason, and with me always, my PB to my J, my skid mark to my underwear, cream to my coffee, spaghetti to my meatballs, whiskey to my coke, and the J to my silent Bob, Teddy Maxwell. On today's episode, we have an unexpected donut of the week, followed by the 2001 film Training Day. We'll end this week's episode with a call of the week. Stick with me on Two Cops and a Donut. And now, the donut of the week. Mmm, donuts. Well, that was a peculiar intro thank you for that colorful intro dirk you're welcome what do we have for this week's donut of the week you said uh well we were gonna get one uh (laughs) the glazed and confused but we took a turn yeah we were gonna get this this new hip place over in south denver northern aurora called glazed and confused i checked the menu and the donuts looked really cool they had all these interesting donuts like samoas you know like uh girl scout cookies yep they had like a samoa one they had like a cinnabon type one they had all these really cool ones then i checked the price 3.99 a pop you said yeah they were were between three and four dollars each Jeez. yeah that would have bankrupt me (laughs) yeah so we went into uh a different place in aurora yes uh, i was in aurora today so i decided to go to a different place called the donut house that's located at 360 south chambers road in aurora colorado 80017 now the donut house is very very nondescript exterior just says the donut house on a sign out in the front is it even lit up or anything it is, but it's, I mean, the place could be, I mean, I think it was like an ice cream store before or something, you know? Okay. It's in a normal strip mall. I mean, it just doesn't look very fancy or doesn't look special right, or anything like that. So I go in and I ask the young lady behind the counter. I mean, I was the first uh, person there. It was like 6.02 a.m. By the way, we were recording this at like 7 a.m. It's the earliest one yet. Too early for this shit. <laughs> Good thing we got our uh, Bones coffee. Yeah, I got a cup of Joe here and get us whoa, mm. get us going. Anyway, I asked her. I was just too tired and just. <laughs> I looked at the donuts and to be honest, they looked like shit. Just absolute shit. <laughs> so I said, "Give me an assortment," but I specified two fritters, a blueberry, and an apple. Ooh. So we get the donuts, and you'll see them on our Instagram page and our Facebook page, as always. Get the donuts, and they look like nothing special, right? Right. Yeah. When I walked into Dirk's house, I felt like hurling the box across the room against the wall. <laughs> I was so pissed off. Um, I pick up a glazed donut, and I bite into this sumptuous, fluffy donut, and it was amazing. Yeah. You, really uh, good. Your eyes lit up after that. You were just like, it's surprised. Well, it's kind of like a five-year-old who like is really pissed off, and he wants to be angry about something. <laughs> And then he like gets kind of like like someone placates him with some you know like a toy or trinket, <laughs> but I'm still seething in anger after eating the donut. But I was like, 
fuck, it's pretty good. God damn it. <laughs> and it was just a simple glazed one, right? Simple glazed. I'm, I'm not a, even Krispy Kreme. They're like their thing is glazed donuts. Yeah. And I'm not a Krispy. I mean, I'm a Krispy Kreme fan. I'm not a normal glazed donut fan. So I took. I think I actually took subconsciously took the glazed donut because I know I would knew I wouldn't like it. Oh. Took a bite out of it so I could just throw it against the wall <laughs> in your kitchen, and it ended up being delicious. And I ate the whole thing. Be like um, Jack Nicholson on. <laughs> What is that movie, uh, Anger Management? Keep on smiling. Oh, shit! I said over easy! I said over easy! <laughs> <laughs> For no fucking reason. Yeah, exactly. And Dirk's here, his hair's all matted, and just wakes up and <laughs> sees me at his front door all pissed off holding a shitty box of donuts. Yeah, this is what I want to be doing on my day off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm going to actually say good job to the donut house. Yeah, it was actually good. Excellent donuts, donut house. So, Dirk, you got your list. I do. Oh, actually, what are we doing? What, what are we doing? What is your donut of the week? You've had a couple. Yeah, I did the uh, toasted, I'm going to say it's toasted coconut. It was a oh, yeah. yeast-risen donut with a chocolate ganache on top. Oh, uh, sure, topped sure. Topped with some toasted coconut flakes, and it was it was awesome. Good. Um, yeah, I saw you take a bite of that, and I, again, <laughs> saw your eyes light up. You looked like... Puss in Boots when <laughs> you took a bite of that donut. Well, like Lisa said, it's like biting into a cloud. That was yeah. They were super soft and fluffy. It was just like, they weren't like really dense. And I think sure. I put uh, Lamar's donuts close to the bottom because they were so, like I said, eating a brick with yeast around it. Yeah, dense. <laughs> I was like, Jesus. Sure. So um, I put... Well, the, I oh, got sorry, my sorry. donut of the week. <laughs> yeah, what's your donut? Well, I started with the glaze, and I'm tempted to go with the glazed because it was such a surprise. It made me feel pretty good about myself, but I'm going to go with the sour glazed. Okay. You know, the sour glazed donut, like the ones that Krispy Kreme has? Yes. That one was awesome. Very happy with that choice. What so, makes those sour, by the way? <clears throat> I don't know. Something with the glaze, man. I mean, maybe it's like a sour beer, and they just leave it out, and it goes bad. <laughs> <laughs> then they sell it for an extra dollar. I don't know. <clears throat> But that's gonna be mine. That's my donor of the week. Okay. Now I could see you. You're trying to. You got your list together here. I'm you like, got it all on, planned out this week. Hurry up. Where does this <laughs> fall on your list? So so far we've had nine donut places. This is episode nine. We've gone over nine places. Yep. So, so I'm where's run through them real quick. Give you the quick rundown. Let's, let's hear it. So Tasty's is still on top. Second, Laura's Krispy <laughs> Kremes, and a, a low set tied for second. The fractured prune, uh, donut house, which we just had. Amy's from last week, Lamar's, Dunkin' Donuts, and then right there in the bottom of the toilet is OMG. <laughs> yeah, you should have flushed that one. Yeah. Jesus, that was a bad donut, man. Haunts me. I'm going to disagree as per usual because your friggin' taste in donuts is terrible. Well. Actually, we do agree in the last bottom two, but I'll get to mine. Number one, Fractured Prune. Number two, Krispy Kreme. Number three, Amy's. There you go, Amy's, coming in top three. <laughs> Number four is going to be the Donut House. Number oh. five is going to be Lamar's. Number six is going to be Tasty's. Number seven is going to be Laura's. Number eight is going to be Duncan. There's no donut on the end of that. Oh, yeah. That's right. And number nine is going to be the OMG Donuts, as in, oh, my God, these donuts taste like ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we had, if I moved Fractured Prune up in a tie with Krispy Kreme, the Donut House would be right there in a snug number four for both of us. Yeah. But yeah. we agree to disagree. We I do. digress. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I digress. That is this episode's Donut of the Week. Good job, Donut House. We wish you the best of luck. Actually, the Donut House has more than one location. We just went to the Aurora one. There's one in Denver, and there I believe there's a third one, too. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I can see why. I mean, their donuts are pretty dope. So, Teddy, before we move on to personnel files, take a word from Bones Coffee here. Uh, did you see what came out? Frankenbones. The Frankenbones mug. Oh, yeah, the Frankenbones mug. 14-ounce mug, awesome artistry, really cool. As I mean, they've got, now they have the electric unicorn mug. They have the high-voltage mug. They've got the Wunderbones mug. I think it just sold out, actually. The Wunderbones? Yep. And now they have the Frankenbones. I would think the Frankenbones would be gone in a gone minute. in a second that yeah. the art the craft and everything on it is so cool it's 14 ounces which is good because for me i'm usually like a 12 ounce cup of coffee and then i put about two ounces of creamer in that some bitch <laughs> yeah what uh did you try the high voltage yet by the way no i haven't it's still sitting there on my counter staring me down every day the thing is, is because high voltage isn't a flavored coffee i don't think i think it's just double the caffeine right and i'm so hooked on all the flavors that they have so i've just i haven't gotten into it yet i was wondering about that yesterday actually i was like man i really need like a shot of something right now because i was mm -hmm. dogging it i'm dogging it yeah yeah sure <laughs> i'm dogging it pat <laughs> <laughs> no uh, I, um you know what maybe next week i'll bring it next week and we will that will be our bones coffee of the week okay sorry well, i just burped right there yeah thank you kind of gross <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, if you guys want to pick up a bag, go to www.bonescoffee.com. And thank you to Bones for sponsoring this podcast. Bones, as always, you came through. Mm -hmm. We love you, Bones. Still saving that bourbon, bur oh my gosh, bourbon barrel-aged coffee. Haven't ground it up yet. We haven't tried it. We have to. And we're doing it for our two-hour Halloween special. I don't know if I can stress that enough. We're putting a ton of work into this two-hour special. The production value, the time, it's going to be off the chain. It's going to be dope. Mostly the time because we're going to, we're actually going to cut you guys short one week. The week prior to, we're going to start recording and get a good two-hour session probably. Or yeah. two hour. We need two hours to We're going to need two full hours in. because yeah. we're doing the original Halloween and then we're going to go over the new one that comes out October 19th, 2018. Dirk and I are going to go to the midnight showing that Thursday night. Yes. It's going to be awesome. Let's do it. Personnel files. Let's get to it. Stand by. So, Teddy Maxwell, bringing us into the personnel files with some more tactical as fuck training. <laughs> We're talking phase two here of the Special Forces Qualification Course. Um, we went over phase one where I went to language school and there was really nothing interesting about it. Just a bunch of dudes sitting in a class learning Russian. But now we're going to go to the more tactical aspect. This is the thing that a lot of people want to hear. They want to hear how Green Berets train, how they learn all their tactics, I suppose. High speed is what so you call it. This was going to be a mentally and physically exhausting part of our training. Uh, it was 13 weeks long. It all took place out at Camp McCall, which is approximately 20 miles from North, uh, excuse me, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And it was broken into three phases. Phase one was going to be CST, which is combat skills training. That's two weeks long. Phase two was small unit tactics, which was eight weeks long. And then phase three was SEER school, which was three weeks long. Ooh. Now, the thing with SEER school... Uh, 
they did a flip-flop. They split us into two groups, and you either did, after combat skills training, you either went to SUT, Small mm-hmm. Unit Tactics, or you went to SEER school. I did SEER school first. So let's get into combat skills training. Combat skills training, from what I remember, for whatever reason, it really didn't stick out in my mind too much. All I knew was that I was like, fuck, I'm stuck out here at Camp McCall for 13 weeks. That's a long time. Yes, it is. You can't write. I mean, there's no point in writing. There's no mail there. No phones. No contact with the outside world. 13 weeks is a long time. All I'm saying is you got to set your bills up to auto pay because <laughs> you're not going to be there to pay that shit. So uh, combat skills training, from what I remember, a lot of it had to do with um, fast roping and moving okay. equipment from helicopters, from towers, basically down a rope. I mean, that's kind of all I can remember about it. They were still kind of treating us like assholes and they were, you know, PTing us and disciplining us, you know, through physical training quite a bit. I don't know why, but we did a lot of fast roping and fast roping is basically everyone probably saw Black Hawk Down. And it's when you drop a rope out of a helicopter and you slide down it. Now, a lot of people think it's like, oh, it's like just like, you know, the rope in gym class. And it's not true, especially when you're carrying all that equipment, you know. (laughs) So what they did was they start us out on these towers, these wooden towers. I can't remember if they're 40 feet, 40 foot towers, I think, uh, with the ropes. And then you would they teach you how to appropriately slide down the rope and land on the ground safely and then move out. How many times did you do that in a row? (laughs) An uncountable amount of times it was yeah. so tedious and did then they make you sorry did they make you wear like safety gear and crap while you're doing no. that or is it just freelance just go yeah just kind of go because you're not gonna have that shit in real life i mean you have a tether that's on your belt that you tether to the helicopter mm-hmm. so you don't fall out prior to getting to the point where you need to slide down the rope you know <laughs> like blackburn or whatever his name yeah was. <laughs> yeah or he just falls and lands like 70 feet or something to yeah. the ground so we did the tower a shit ton of times. It was, it was an uncountable amount. And then we went to the UH-60s, which are Blackhawks, and they had them on the airfield, and we went out, and we just did it over and over and over again. And that was pretty much combat skills training. We did some basic other things, maybe not tying, stuff like that. But You know, you kind of downplay the whole, I've ridden in a chopper before, because that's like on my bucket list. Like, oh, that's yeah. what I want to do. Like, I've never ridden a helicopter. Huh? Yeah, when you do that, when you're in, like, a Blackhawk, like, it gets fucking boring. And it's loud as fuck. And doop, 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 doop. it's so loud. You have to wear, you, you wear these... Um, like, Ear Pro or whatever? Yeah, but it's intra communications within the bird. So okay. everyone wears them. They're these earmuffs that you can communicate and talk to. Because the, um, the the jet wash, like, from the, the propellers are so fucking loud. So you wear those inside the aircraft, and you can hear everyone else talking. Okay. So you can talk, and it protects your ears from all the stuff. How many people in their military training, mm-hmm. right out of the base, say you're going to infantry or whatever, how many people actually get to go into a helicopter? Is it mostly they just fly in a big plane to a base somewhere, and that's it, right? Yeah. They don't get to if do you, that. If you're a regular infantry guy, you're not going to be fast roping into... Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no point. You know what I mean? There's too many of them. Like, when you've, if you're going to be fast roping, you know, there's two sides of the aircraft that you can fast rope out of at the same time. So you can maybe do three to four on each side of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. So that's like eight guys. A platoon of, of the conventional army guys is like a lot. Yeah, you can't even fit them in the helicopter. No, you couldn't even fit them all in the helicopter. So this is that's more, I hate to say it, but it's more of a special ops type thing. Yeah. I'm sure some have done it. I don't know, but it's well, not very common. I'm super jelly over here. I want to... Oh, dude. I want a fast rope out of a freaking chopper. You want to talk jelly? <laughs> I'll give you some, some raspberry smuckers here. Uh, when I was in the Republic of Georgia, we gave the Georgian military um, all our Vietnam-era Hueys. 
Hmm. And uh, that's what they use for their aircraft over there, man. And I got to ride in a fucking Vietnam-style Huey, dude. That's awesome. You know, the, it ain't me, I ain't your fortune, son. You know, yeah. guy with the boombox, like, <laughs> getting ready to jump into K-Sun. Pack of smokes in their helmet. Yeah. <laughs> a Hershey bar in their helmet. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I got to fly in a Huey, and that was that was probably the epitome of, like, aircraft for me, because you saw it in Forrest Gump, I saw it in all those cool Vietnam movies, and I was like, that's fucking Sergeant awesome. Kirk Lazarus with his 12-gauge shotgun. <laughs> Survive. Cover me, you lip dick Survive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to do a lot of that. that. That was pretty much most of combat skills training, from what I remember. For whatever reason, I don't have a lot of memories about that. I don't know why it didn't really stick out, but it was two weeks long. So then following that, I went to SEER school. Now, the I can't, I won't say too much about SEER school. I signed an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. Um, so I'm going to abide by that. It's legally binding, and I'm just not going to betray my regiment by talking about it. It's a very, very touchy subject. But uh, the long and short of it, uh, SEER school, and Survival, Evasion, Resistance, Escape. And it was basically the modern-day SEER school was denied by, uh, denied, designed by a former Green Beret named Nick Rowe. Nick Rowe was held captive in a Vietnam POW camp for five years during the Vietnam War. Ooh. Once he got back, they asked him in the early 80s, hey, You've experienced this. You know what it's like. Can you design some type of school, survival school, where we can teach people what it would be like if they were ever captured and put in a POW camp? Is this like the bread and butter of your special forces? This is, is a cool part. This is the best training I've ever been through. I'd never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> it was so intense. And it was so miserable. I would never do it again. But it taught me a lot. It teaches you a lot about yourself, self-reliance, you know, perseverance, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went through that first and I can't really, like I said, I can't really talk too much about it. Um, can you just give us the basics of like, if someone was going into the military, what could they, I guess, just break it down to the most Seer vague yeah, okay. Okay. experience so, that they're going to go into. Right. Seer school is broken into a sort of survival. Okay. Well, it's an acronym, survival, evasion, resistance, escape, survival. You start out with survival and it's very... I mean, it's a, like a very teacher-friendly envi- environment. No one's screaming at you. No one's yelling at you. It's, hey, this is, we're going to teach you how to make snares. We're going to teach you how to do friction fires. We're going to teach you how to make n- fishing nets. We're going to teach you how to sew. We're going to teach you how to build shelters. We're going to teach you. So to survive out in the wild, basically, without on your own, with anything a, else. Without anything. Okay. How to fashion weapons, how to make weapons. That's one part of it. Another part of it is where they basically teach you, if you are captured, how to resist your captors. Okay. And there's a lot of psycho- psychology that goes into that. There's there's an actual way to do it appropriately. And then following that at the end, um, they put you through a simulated POW camp, and it is extremely intense. And that's all I will say about it. So if someone was going to watch an example of a movie, they could watch the recruit <laughs> no go so, to the farm so like gi jane i think it's probably one of the only movies i've ever seen that has seer school in it yeah and that's kind of a you know i don't so know So what you're saying colin farrell didn't go through seer school on the farm in no. the cia with al pacino one of the best actors in the world not why don't you see what happens to someone you know someone you care about so you won't forget what you should learn 
from this exercise and learn it well. Rule number one, do not get caught. <laughs> right. Got a big ass. Uh, no, it wasn't anything like that. Okay. G.I. Jane, I think, is the only movie I recall that has like a seer school portion of mm-hmm. it. And it's not very realistic, to be honest, but it's intense. And um, I got frostbite when we did it. Not like a really bad. I didn't lose my toes or anything, but I had real severe issues with my hands and feet for a couple of years after that. Ouch. So we do seer school for three weeks. We get out. We're completely malnourished. I lost 25 pounds-ish during seer school. Completely malnourished. And then we're like, oh, we have to go do small unit tactics. So small unit tactics is kind of like ranger school. Mm. It is an eight-week course where you learn basically all your... Okay, let me go down the list. You learn platoon operations. You learn... Uh, ambush. A big thing is ambushes and raids. Okay. And how to properly set one up. You, you go through every every type of leadership position. So you learn every single job and how to do it. It is so complicated <laughs> and it takes so much work. You, you'd be shocked at how much actual work goes into receiving a mission and planning it appropriately and then executing that mission. So it's all about safety. So, I mean, efficiently doing it, but being safe, doing being it. safe and being as lethal as possible, being as efficient as possible. Right. Having uh, a, Pace plan, a primary alternate contingency, contingency emergency plan for everything. So you have to have four plans for everything. And it takes a really, really long time. And once you get it down, though, you it's like ingrained in me. Like, I'll never forget it. You know what I mean? How to set up like a proper ambush. Like, I still remember like how big the kill zone should be. I still remember how, what the safe distance behind a, this has been like 10 years since I've gone through this. Right. The safe distance behind a claymore, you know, things like that. You learn all that really, really cool stuff. Now, one of the interesting stories I have about going through SUT was we get back from Sears School, and it's cold out. It's North Carolina in February, Mm -hmm. and we're going in to do, it's called SOP development. Now, my brother, as I said, was a Green Beret, and he told me about it, and he goes, you, SOP development is one week long, and you will not sleep (laughs) the whole week. Uh, SOB development is basically you go into, you know, the bush, you go into the woods and you and your team, you create every single standard operating procedure that you need. You're, you're acting like you're a unit okay. and you have to create all the, the standard operating procedures. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So I'm getting ready to do it. It's 9 PM the night before the instructors come in, they go, Hey, start an SOP development tomorrow morning, <laughs> get some rest because you're not really going to sleep for the next week. We're like, ah, shit. I'm a sleeper. I like my sleep. Did you know about that prior to going into it that you weren't going to get sleep? Yeah, yeah, I knew. And I was just like, you're kind of dreading it and you have anxiety and you're like, fuck, this is coming up. Did you have an advantage over it because you knew or did no. other everybody else know? Too? Everyone knew. Oh, okay. It's like a goddamn sewing circle over there. There's rumors and all this stuff. Well, I heard this, you know? <laughs> yeah, kind of like hell week for us. Yeah, yeah, you know, so we go to sleep. It's 9 p.m. And then it starts snowing outside. Ugh. Yeah, and I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be miserable. <laughs> well, the door flies open. It's one of the the cadre, one of the instructors. He comes in and says, all right, grab some cold weather gear, get an MRE, and get a canteen. Everyone outside. We're like, Ugh. are they fucking with this? Like, what are they? Why? <laughs> miserable. Yeah, we're like, is this like the beginning of SOP development? Turns out where Camp McCall is, remember I was talking to you a couple weeks ago about selection? Yeah. And how we do the PT phase, how we do land navigation, we do all that. Right. Turns out 
one of the candidates got lost doing um, <laughs> land navigation. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And they give you something that's called a star cluster. It's a flare you can shoot off into the sky if, you, if you're in trouble or you get injured. You shoot off in the sky. So they saw it, but he only had one and they couldn't pinpoint where he was. Oh, shit. So we did like literally arms distance apart. We walked for 10 hours oh. all night looking for this fucking guy. And we eventually found him on one of the drop zones. I think it was Luzon drop zone where people you know airborne operations we jump out yeah sitting there with a nice little toasty fire where all us assholes are out there in the snow looking for this dude i think he got selected eventually Uh but he they had to recycle him into a different group because everyone hated him so much that they figured that he'd get killed or something jesus because of that because they had everyone on camp mccall hundreds of guys in training out looking for him for like 10 hours so anyway we get back it's like six, the sun's coming up it's like 6 30 in the morning <laughs> we haven't slept and i was like oh they're probably gonna let us go to bed now nope didn't let us go to bed they let us like nap in a snow berm a snow berm for like 10 minutes oh like, man hey, shit we're starting sob development now so that's brutal that was brutal man and to this day i still don't remember how i exactly <laughs> passed. Did, yeah passed that but <laughs> Uh, yeah, small unit tactics. I mean, it's just imagine getting a bunch of guys and teaching them how to do ambushes and raids constantly over and over and over again. One of the main difference between an ambush and a raid is an ambush is you choose the location uh-huh. of where you're going to attack someone. And a raid is the destination's already been chosen and you're attacking that position. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So that was SUT. CST, a uh, seer would have been so cool if I could really dive into that. That would have been really, really cool. So <laughs> maybe when you're an old, decrepit bastard and don't give a shit don't anymore. Don't care if the US government's <laughs> gonna come after me. One last story, I'm gonna give it to you, and this is kind of a funny one. In seer school, you don't eat a lot. So you have to kind of hunt and kill whatever you eat, right? Yeah. So if it's cold outside, there aren't a lot of animals out. <laughs> a friend of mine, I think we'd gone eight or nine days at this point without eating. And yeah, we were really, really tired and hungry. So we, I ended up meeting up with him later and he goes, oh, I'm not hungry anymore. He goes, we, we, I, I killed and ate a beaver. <laughs> a beaver? I was like, where'd you find a beaver? And he goes, I was like, would you like set up a snare and you catch a beaver? And he goes, no. He goes, I actually just walked up, <laughs> he grabbed it by the neck and strangled it. Jesus. I just imagine this like cartoony like beaver getting sort of like, ah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, he he ate it. He said it was it was actually really tasty. He said there's a ton of fat. Like they boiled it, and like mm-hmm. he said there's fat rendering on the top. And they were like eating. They were so hungry. They were just like we're, we'll eat everything. I heard beaver tails a delicacy in <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, SUT, and CST. Again, I wish I could have talked more about Seer, but them's that's that's the breaks, man. No, that's all right. I mean, that's the way it should be. Should re respect it. So. Yeah, that NDA is legit. Yep. So, Dirk, on to you in personnel files. What do we have? I have an email that we received last week that I'll read, and I'm going to actually focus in on that, and I'm going to have you uh, kind of go in halvesies with me so we can discuss. Uh, We're going to go Dutch? Yeah. Sick. We'll Although I think the fans are, uh, or the listeners are sick of hearing me running my suck all day. Yeah, <laughs> it's all right. Well, let's uh, get into that. So, Teddy, the email reads... It came from Jeff in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Jeff asks, or he says, Hey Dirk and Teddy, just recently started listening to your podcast. I'm not in law enforcement, but always wanted to apply. Can you discuss the application process? 
He says, I'm about to start college. I have yet to choose a major. What can you suggest for someone who wants to pursue a career in law enforcement? Some good questions, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah, so Jeff in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I would say that you really don't need to focus in on a career for, I mean, like, if you want to go into law enforcement, you don't have to study it. No, no, you don't need to, you know, focus on any, like, criminal justice or anything. As long as you have a degree and you have, like, a bachelor's in anything, could be English, it's still going to be the same as a criminal justice degree. Yeah, so my suggestion would be focus on something, if you don't like being a cop, focus in on something else to where if you apply to be a cop and you're like, hey, this isn't for me, then you can go do that other thing. Yeah, I would agree. I, you know, we see it every day. A lot of people come and go from this profession just because it's not that they're not cut out for it. They just don't enjoy it. You know what I mean? They choose to just not do it. Yeah, and I mean, it's not the most pleasant job. I would have to agree. No, so I w- <laughs> yeah, I w- I'm with Dirk. I would say study something that you're actually genuinely interested in studying and enjoy yourself in school, get good grades. And, you know, the whenever there's no police department out there that's going to say, you know. Oh, you have a finance degree when yeah. I'm going to take you? Yeah, it's not exactly. like that. It's not like that at all. So get a degree in anything. Just make sure it's something you're interested in and make sure it's something you could potentially fall back on if you feel that law enforcement's not for you. Yeah, and like, I mean, I've seen and applied to jobs on USA Jobs and stuff for like the FBI if you want to go federal. Like, they look for certain degrees like in mathematics or finance, you yeah. know, stuff like that to, or business. It's That's not... They're not looking for a law enforcement candidate, per se. Right, sure. Um, and I feel that if I was to have a different... And I'll tell you firsthand that I studied criminal justice, and it's basically worthless. My degree is a piece of paper that says you have a degree in you know, criminal justice, and that's yeah, you, it. You can have one job <laughs> I mean, this yeah, degree. I, I can't go and be like, a, be like Seinfeld and <laughs> Newman. I've always wanted to be a banker. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I was never able to become a banker. (laughs) Banker. So you're killing yourself because your dreams of becoming a banker have gone unfulfilled. You you, you, you can't live without being a banker. Yeah, yeah. if I can't be a banker, I don't want to live. You must be a banker. Must be a banker. Okay, we'll go with the banker story. I, I just don't know. I don't know what else I could do with a law enforcement degree. Yeah. I could do like private security maybe, or I don't know. What else could you do There's with that? not much. I mean, you could go to law school maybe if you wanted to get a graduate degree or something or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah I, I say steer away from like your criminal justice degrees and everything because they're very, very one-dimensional. Definitely. So. And what, what was the, the second part? He said that he wanted to know about the application process and how yeah. that works. Well, geez. Pull up a chair there, son. (laughs) It's really annoying. Yeah, Jeff. uh, There is, I mean, I've applied to different agencies before. All of them are different. But I have to say from a structured aspect is that you fill out your paper application and they're going to ask you your history of everything. They want to know the background thing is what the biggest thing there is for law enforcement. Yeah, they're, they're very concerned with who they're hiring because integrity and character is a huge thing for them. So they want to know everything about you going all the way back. Yeah, you'll have to fill out your initial paper application or online application now. And you're going to have to write down every address that you've ever lived at in the past 10 years and friends that you grew up with, roommates, all that stuff. They're going to want to know 
history of you know drugs, criminal history, all that stuff. It's and, pretty intrusive, and you know their their thought of it is is you better answer these questions and you better answer them honestly, otherwise you just will hire someone else. You know what I mean? Right. There's no well, I'm just not going to answer that. Well, if you don't answer that, then you're not going to get hired. It's that simple. And most agencies now have a polygraph. Yeah. I mean, ours didn't, but... Or no, ours did. Yeah, we had a polygraph. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, That was my first agency that didn't have the polygraph. (laughs) It's like Jerry Seinfeld with the Melrose Place. That needle's going to be going wild. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, Um, The polygraph sucks. I've taken multiple, and they are... It's extremely uncomfortable, and they are again. You know, polygraphs aren't aren't admissible in court because they are not an exact science, and they're not a hundred percent accurate. So true. They're and it's really uncomfortable. They can be anywhere from one to six. The longest one I took was six hours. Jeez, a pizza yeah. was for that was for a federal agency. Okay. That was for the yeah, and well, that was extremely uncomfortable. And yeah. every trick you th- you think you know to beat the polygraph, trust me, they've thought of. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, there's no reason why you would even try. It's just, just no. Stupid. Just answer the goddamn questions. <laughs> yeah, and they they ask you prior to prior you to taking the polygraph, they ask you, hey, what are some things that you know? Okay, have you ever smoked marijuana? Yes. Whatever. Okay, when's the last time you did it? Five years ago. Okay. Right. You know, except for you know five years ago when you smoked marijuana, have you smoked or how many pots have you smoked? <laughs> How many pots have you smoking since then? You know. How much have you had to drink, man? Oh, how much have I had to drink? Hey, how many pots have you smoking? What are you talking about? Oh, how many times have you gone to the bathroom in your life? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of the stuff is it's pretty innocuous. I mean, they don't really care. They just want to know that you're going to be honest about it. I mean, True. Unless you've been <laughs> smuggling cocaine and condoms in your next to your lower intestine, they're not really going to give a shit. Yeah, you just know? just be honest. Just be. Open and honest with them, you know, and a lot of them do say like, if you've done it within the last two years or three years that you're not going to be eligible. So sometimes you're going to have to wait. You know, I know a lot of people that are like, well, you know, I smoked marijuana like two years ago and it's, well, it's three. So you have to wait another year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe two, two years, they might slide that. I don't know. It depends on what your background is and what you've done, I guess, or your experience. But right. if it's been like two weeks, maybe you might have to wait a couple years. <laughs> yeah, if you literally just flicked a roach before you walked <laughs> into the polygraph, <laughs> right before you walked into the building, you just literally just smoked the doobie. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be good. Yeah, you might want to consider doing something else for a couple years first. Yeah. <laughs> So you have the paper application. You'll have to fill out. Do like uh, Teddy said. It's very intrusive. You'll do that, and then they'll contact you and say, "Hey, you're gonna have to do a written exam." Yep. After the written exam, you'll probably do the fitness. Mm-hmm. They're gonna want to do some type of fitness, and then after that, uh, it's probably like the board, oral board, oral interview. board, where you get interviewed by multiple multiple people yeah usually it's a couple police officers or you know the people in the city council or something like that captain lieutenant something you know someone higher up and that's probably the most for me that was the biggest thing that i focused on when i was applying i got a book online and if i find it i will air it next episode because it's a really good book it goes through a bunch of questions that they'll ask you and it has little spaces where you can write the answers in the book. And I found it very helpful when I did my oral board. Sure. Because probably the top 10 questions that were in there were asked in my oral board. Huh. 
It's very good. Um, I didn't have to do an oral board. Yeah, for our agency, they don't require they it. They didn't do it. I don't know why. I mean, they sent someone down. I was at the time. I was living in Arizona. I was still in school, and they sent a background investigator down to to meet with me. And they just, I think at that time they had already decided. They saw my resume. They saw my background. I'd taken the polygraph. I kind of passed everything. And at that time, they didn't really even interview me. They just asked me, hey, what questions do you have of us about our agency? Right. So it was more of like just a very, very um, informal Q&A type thing. Yep. It, which it was great for me. I've heard some of these people, like, it depends on how you are in job interviews in general. Some people get freaked the fuck out when they're, you know, like, <laughs> talk, like you know, I guess when they're in front of three or four people and they're asking them, you know, throwing questions at them. It's like... <laughs> Where the sweat's just pouring off yeah, your skull. <laughs> going down your face, yeah. I don't know. We never, I never had it though. I mean, I've only applied to one agency and it was the one I worked for. So yeah. And that's, I mean, most agencies are going to have an oral board. I Mm -hmm. think ours is kind of a different agency to where they don't, which I found very strange. And I feel like they could have weeded out some turds, if you know what I'm saying beforehand. Absolute herbs. (laughs) Sure. But that's the basic rundown of the process, I mean, we can yeah, go into more. It is, a, it is a long process. It's not something you're going to apply online and then within three weeks you're going to have a job. No. If you apply, say it's June, uh, it's October 2018. If you apply now, mm-hmm. expect to be going to the academy in October 2019. Right. It's at least a year long. It takes about a year. And being a police officer, especially when applying, is all about timing. Yep. So I applied about a year out from graduating college. I know that you already had a different agency, so you were kind of set in your job, so you weren't in any rush. No, and I actually, I think I applied at that, you know, that sweet spot, because I applied in November mm-hmm. and got hired in June. And that was like the quickest process that... Yeah, they were, our agency was very efficient. Right. More so than what I've heard of other agencies. And maybe that's because I was hired a little quicker on in this department because of my background, because I was already working as a police officer. Sure. So it was a little faster. Yeah. And, you know, a little anecdote. When I was in college, I did a uh, internship with the U.S. Marshals, mm-hmm. and I spoke to a lot of them. The federal gov- agencies, the way they hire is even more asinine than the local ones. A lot of the guys were like, oh, yeah, I applied when I was an undergrad in college. And some of them were like, I was almost finished with my master's degree by the time Holy they called us. You know, they're like, they did their initial questionnaire, their initial interview. They did a bunch of their background stuff. And then they didn't hear anything for two to three years. And then they got a phone call one day saying, well, we're starting an academy class. You want to you wanna join? And they're like, are you kidding me? I'm a goddamn librarian right now. <laughs> of course I want to, you know. So. Yeah, and I've, I know someone that applied to ATF in 2012, mm-hmm. and they're still in the process right yeah. now. It's 2018. So yeah, I, you're going to have a lot more luck with the local agencies in terms of efficiency in, in, in hiring. Right. Um, if you apply to a local agency, you're actually going to have someone, a person, read your resume. In which, when you do the federal government, they have, they have to weed through thousands upon thousands. So... <laughs> take it for what it is i mean apply if you're interested in the federal work but definitely apply i mean that's where those you know federal bennies come in you know what i'm saying sick federal bennies kid (laughs) yeah well uh teddy i think i'm just gonna wrap it up with that email today and i'm gonna actually go into my more of my personal stuff you know the personnel files but i'm gonna go into my personal stuff next week okay go home see dr finkelstein and i'm gonna tell him we got a whole new bag of issues. We can forget about mom for a while. I'm going to go. 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, Daddy, that's awesome. Uh, Hey, I just wanted to say I found the book that I was talking or referencing about. It's called uh, Police Oral Boards, The Ultimate Guide to the Successful Oral Board Interview by Mark Denton. And And you said that helped you quite a bit in terms of passing your oral boards yeah and my brother suggested it and actually stole the book from him nice (laughs) but on uh you can buy it on amazon or barnes and nobles uh it has nine thousand reviews and it got almost five stars perfect so So it must be good go grab that book jeff try it out if uh you want to apply awesome let's get into pop culture corner and what do we have this week dirk we have the 2001 crime drama thriller training day starring denzel washington and ethan hawk ethan hawk all right let's get into it stand by you will learn about the streets about the choices that will force a dedicated cop over the edge all in the name of good In the next 24 hours, the only thing more dangerous than the line being crossed... Today's a training day, Officer Hoyt. Good chance to give you a little taste of reality. You think you can handle it? ...is the cop who has crossed it. I will do anything you want me to do. Will you? Let's see. If I was a dealer, you'd be dead by night. jails because of me. Judges have handed out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time based on my investigation. You got today and today only to show me who and what you're made of. You hear me? That's it. That's what I'm talking about. First day on the job, you hit a $3 million seizure. Police officer! Get away from the girl! No, no, no. We're not racking up arrests today. You let him go. What more you want? I want justice. Is right? that I not mean, justice? That's street justice. What's wrong with street justice? Oh, what? Just let the animals wipe themselves out. God willing. You can't be like this. Open your eyes. Can't you see? Police, we got a search warrant. You ain't no police! didn't sign up for this. You think I'm crazy, right? We communicate and talk to me. Say it. Say it. I think you're a rogue cop. Learned a lot of things on these streets, boy. Good things and bad things, too. There's some profoundly evil people walking the streets freely right now. I'm the police. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. That's the point. Turn out to be a nice day, huh? It'll get darker. Guarantee you that. All right, so training day. I'm going to read the synopsis from IMDb. On his first day on the job as a Los Angeles narcotics officer, a rookie cop goes beyond his full work day in training with the narcotics division of LAPD with a rogue detective who isn't what he appears to be. Talk King- to me, Teddy. <laughs> King Kong ain't got nothing on Dirk. <laughs> I love this movie. This movie kind of details the dark side of corruption that could potentially be involved in police work. I find it hard to believe now. You know, we work for like a mid-range in terms of how many officers we have. Yeah. We're mid-level in terms of just, it's not a big agency. 
you know, overall, like LAPD, LA County Sheriff, NYPD, those Chicago. have Chicago, those have thousands. Right. We have, we're in the hundreds, but it kind of shows the dark side and the corruption and police work and potential it could be. I'll actually, let me go through the synopsis. You have Officer Jake Hoyt, who's 19 months on the department, married, has a brand new kid. He, I guess, in some context, is getting off patrol in order to go to a specialty assignment with this investigative unit run by one and only Denzel Washington. Now, no, De- Alonzo. Alonzo. Alfonso. Yes. You fucked me up there. <laughs> Alonzo, sorry. He, right from the get-go, you can tell he is a quick-talking manipulator. Yes. Alonzo. He has a retort for everything. He has a way to justify every single thing he says and does. Did you notice that in the movie? I did. You know, going along with the storyline, he immediately starts talking himself he's convincing he's charming he's got this like magnetism that you know officer hoyt even though he feels really uncomfortable with a lot of the stuff he's doing he wants to be around him and he wants to learn from him right and you could hear it in the trailer that we played that he's saying that he got what so many so much money you know for time spent well he said 15,000 man hours has been dealt out due to his investigations right says that in the the trailer and, you know, I believe that particular part is when Hoyt is questioning him, you yeah. know, like questioning his, his ethics and his tactics. And, you know, there's kind of that throughout the entire movie, there's, there, you know, straight from the beginning when they get together, there's, there's that conflict between them as Hoyt is still wet behind the ears. He's new and he's been taught the ethics of the police academy. Of, this is how you do it. You know, there's a lot of corrupt cops out there. People are going to jail for it. And Alonzo's like, hey, forget all that shit. Right. You're <laughs> and then he's like. Yeah, you'll do anything. If you want to be on this unit, this is how we do things. Yeah, and Hoyt, is he wants to learn, and although it is compromising his ethics, he is willing to kind of bend a little bit. Right. Well, this this uh, movie, it grossed $104 million worldwide, and uh, the budget was only 45 Hmm. So... Well, the budget forty five, and then with you know promotional stuff by the studio, you know, it made probably a small profit, not too big. Yeah, opening weekend it only made twenty two mil. So sure, not much. And I don't remember this movie actually like hitting theaters. Really, I just saw it. Well, it was we were young. Yeah. I, I was still in high school. I remember that. I remember guys on the football team going around singing that King Kong line. Yeah, from Denzel, <laughs> which is funny. You know, it's interesting because uh, how old is Denzel Washington? He's in his sixties. Yeah. And it's funny because Denzel Washington can play, basically, if he lets his hair, his gray hair grow in, he could play 60. And if he dies it, he could play 25. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Did you notice that? Like, Yeah. Again, another one of indeterminate age there. But, <laughs> you know, I think on, in this movie, he's supposed to be seasoned. I think he's supposed to be like 40-ish. Maybe what? You think 15 years in the department? Yeah, 10 to 15, somewhere around there. Yeah, he's got a lot of experience. Most of it done in undercover work. Uh, he's got his own special unit. Tell me about that unit, man. Well, is he? What is he in that unit? He's like the lead, right? Yeah, he's he's the the head honcho of that investigative unit. He's considered a detective. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he runs this unit with his guys, and I mean, what is he's just? I don't know, dude. He's a snake. He's obviously he was a good cop at one point. Yes. But whoever taught him what to do changed him. Well, if you and think about it, and you're looking at 2001, right? Mm-hmm. And in real world LAPD, that would make him coming on the department some t- sometime in the mid 80s. Yeah, when corruption was fucking through the roof, especially in LAPD. Yeah, like you're saying, you know, whoever he learned from gave him some definitely some loose, loose ethics, loose morals. 
Right, and he found a way to get what the, I guess, the men upstairs, the brass, what they want, and still get his cut. Sure. And, you know, you don't see it throughout the... You, you, you sort of do with the judges. You know, they have that one scene where he's sitting with the judges, and he's discussing getting a warrant. Right. And it's a, a super illegal warrant. It's not a valid warrant, but the judges are like, hey, we'll sign off on it. So it shows that, like, you know, and he, he mentions about the drug test. He's like, I'm going to take a drug test, and I'm going to piss hot, you know, for this. And he goes, ah, the, you know, the captain's got our back. He lets us know when we're going to... So it shows the, the corruption goes through the chain of command all the way up to even the judges. Right. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting thing. It's it's really deep, and it seems like everyone on the department, from his Alonzo's point of view, is just there to kind of get theirs, get their right. own. And I think that uh, he has... So he's looking up for... He's asking Jake, Officer Hoyt, to step in. They have one opening, and he yeah. has a he has a potential spot of getting on there, on his right. team. And he has one day to show his, I guess, loyalty to... Alonzo and the yeah. team. So they, I mean, like you said, this day goes on forever. <laughs> like, this yeah. seems like a 25-hour, 30-hour day. I, <laughs> they deal with enough shit that's like a career's worth of shit in one day. Yeah. You know, and this is something they never really clarified in the movie. Well, let's start with this. The, the big subplot in this movie is that Denzel Washington had spent a weekend in Las Vegas, and he ended up killing or... Beating a guy to death? Yeah, something That was like part that. of the Russian mob. So there's a hit out on Alonzo, and if he came up with $1 million, then the hit would be called off. Correct. You have Hoyt that comes in, and I you never I never really clarified this. I don't know if they ever did in the movie, was, like you said, show his loyalty. But he says somewhere along the lines of, well, we've been planning this all week. So it's like, you, you don't know if Hoyt's walking into a lose-lose situation, or if he shows his loyalty right off the bat, and he's one of them, if they're going to let him live. And continue on. What's your thought on that? They don't really ever get to that. I think Alonzo and them... So, in what you think is that this this training day was in the works prior to. And it was sure. just thrown into the mix when they already had this plan going. Right. Um, so, he's going to try to do all these things up until the point to where they take the cash at the end. Or mm-hmm. in the mi- middle of the movie, whatever. They still have the spot open, but they want to build Hoyt into that personal to where, hey, once we do this... You're part of the team. Right. And I think that that was a good... I, I liked it how they brought into... He's like, hey, he has him smoke the, the weed with the PCP oh, yeah. and all this stuff to set him up. Be truly effective, a good narcotics agent must know and love narcotics. In fact, a good narcotics agent should have narcotics in his blood. <laughs> what, are you going to smoke that? Nope, you are. Yeah. In case he does turn, then he's got dirt on him, and he can just, you know, he just smoked. He's going to drop dirty, you know, kick him off the force, and then he doesn't even have to worry about it. Yeah, the storyline's awesome in that way. It's like he's been setting him up from the second he walks into that diner and meets him, you yep. know? Yeah, I thought that was really good. And this was directed by David Ayer. No, written, written by David Ayer. By David Ayer. Same guy who did Fury. Same guy who did Suicide Squad. Same guy who did... Uh, what was it? The end of watch. Yep. So, and um, I remember David Ayer did end of watch because he wanted to show the good side of policing because typically he does shit like this, you right. know, where it's ultra corrupt cops. And I think I mentioned this before, but he did Street Kings too with yeah, Keanu Reeves, and it's just evidently a shit movie. Yeah. yeah you, get, you get the Doug Heffernan hand fart with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we, we discussed this too. Uh, anyone who's seen the movie, there's uh, multiple parts with uh, Scott Glenn. He's an older gentleman. Alonzo has a very congenial, almost looks like a friendship with this guy. Right. So we surmised, again, they don't really get into it. We surmised that Scott Glenn um, is a longtime drug dealer. OG. Yeah, possibly a confidential informant for Alonzo. Alonzo has allowed him to sling dope for a number of years in exchange for, we're guessing, some type of monetary exchange and so that this guy is basically able to operate with right. impunity. And then at the end, Alonzo double-crosses him, blows him away to steal his money. So His huge freaking stash of cash that he says, what, I'm waiting for one last thing, and then he's going to go to where, the Bahamas or Philippines? something like that. Yeah. yeah, he said he didn't retire in the Philippines. My question is, why don't you have $4 million to go to the Philippines now? Right. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, this movie... Um, Hoyt is just riding along with him, doing all this questionable shit with Denzel Washington all day. Um, you can see that he's having some moral conundrum with everything that goes on. And Denzel Washington, his charm and his his way of talking, his way out of stuff, just keeps Hoyt going instead of just you know kind of turning it in. Then it all culminates with probably one of the most intense scenes ever. And that's when Alonzo takes Hoyt to the um, Mexican gangbanger's house. Yep. And I was like, going to talk about that. You weren't? I was. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking is that you do a good deed and somehow it will come back and save you. Right, sure. And I like how they put that in the movie that he saved that girl from being, you know, raped or whatever. Yeah, by the two, like, crackheads. Right. Turns out that the gangbangers that he brings them to is the, what, his niece or something? Yeah, yeah. So they don't kill him because of that. And you'll notice those, those actors um, that are basically the, the, the gangbangers. Mm-hmm. You see, I've seen them, and I don't know how they're huge. They're really good character actors, all of them. They've been in a lot of other movies. Uh, what are their names? So it's uh, Cliff Curtis who plays Smiley, and then we have Raymond Cruz, who's actually Tuco. In oh, from Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, and then the one you always know, um, Noel. I can't even pronounce his last name. You... Uh, Google Googly Emmy. Googly Emmy. Yeah, the guy from uh, Bruce Almighty when, you know... The monkey crawls out of his butt. <laughs> the monkey crawls out your butt, you get your sorry. That was a little you bit know? more of a PG <laughs> yeah. but version. that scene, I mean, that's the scene that always sticks out in my mind is when he's playing poker with those guys and, I mean, these these gangbangers, I mean, they... What is Al- Alonzo brings him, like, a toaster or something. It's a blender. A blender. With, <laughs> I think it, and it has the payoff to kill Hoyt in the blender. It's fine. It's not even a lot of money. It looks like it's, like, 10 grand or something. Right. To murder a cop, you know, and these guys, they play them at the table and they're like, hey, you know, we want to see your gun. You know, what do you have? A nine millimeter Beretta? And, you know, they basically disarm him. Yep. And then they, you know, there's a really, really good twist at the end of that, which kind of ties the movie together. But yeah, the the movie is, it's very complex. The storyline's awesome. It's a David Ayer movie. Yeah. I think you could watch this several times and still like catch something that mm-hmm. you missed before. And there's so many like it's weird because I don't know if David Ayer like has ridden with police officers and knows like underlining stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that's small that I noticed mm-hmm. that is like from you wouldn't under- know that unless you were a cop. From my understanding, David Ayer has a big connection with the LAPD. Okay. Friends, stuff associates that work in the LAPD and he gets a lot of insider information and he has a big connection with them. That's why anecdotal my brother recently met David Ayer. My brother uh, owns a, uh, like he does chimney inspections and stuff like that in yeah. the Los Angeles area. And he did one for David Ayer. And he's, he said David Ayer was super down to earth, super cool guy. You know, my brother said, hey, you know, I like Suicide Squad. 
And he goes, ah, you know, I didn't really get good reviews on that one. So, you know, it's just cool to kind of hear that he was, you know, a self-conscious person. Yeah. Even though he's a million, super successful filmmaker, you know, it seems like movies that didn't do so well still kind of hurt his ego or, you yeah. know, even though I thought Suicide Squad was good. I know a lot of people didn't like it. Insert Doug Heffernan hand fart from <laughs> me again. <laughs> Overall... The mo- the storyline was very complex. You got to understand when you're writing a movie like this, you have limited amount of pages. One page equals one minute. Right. So you have you have ninety to one hundred and twenty pages to create such a complex story like this. I love the movie. I used to watch it, and I watched it growing up with my brother, and we kind of laughed at some parts with uh, like when he goes into the house to I don't even know what he goes to find with Hoyt, but they go into that the girl with the really long fingernails. Oh, yeah. I want to see that warrant. I want to see that warrant. What? I want to see that goddamn woman. That's Macy Gray, <laughs> by the way, the singer. Yeah. Uh, he goes in there to get the $40,000 to bribe the judges. Okay. Yeah, he goes in there basically to steal money in order to bribe the judges to get the warrant to go into Scott Glenn's place to steal the millions of dollars. Okay. Yeah. That's what it was. I couldn't remember that, but I just, I like that part. Uh, yeah. Come out, shoot that fool. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfuckers. You know, I just, <laughs> I think it's, that's kind of comical to me, but. Yeah, they got all like the, the I don't know if they're Crips or Bloods, but you know, they all just open fire in the middle of a neighborhood. Like Denzel nothing. busts out freaking two guns from the, mm-hmm. <laughs> underneath his size triple X freaking <laughs> leather jacket and so Monte Carlo. <laughs> In this movie, in terms of this is the different, I say this is kind of different than like a, a Die Hard or a Lethal Weapon because it, it's more realistic. Yeah, you know, like Die Hard is. I mean, let's face it, no one's gonna take C four and blow up the first floor of like a skyscraper. Shit's right. not gonna happen. I almost feel like it has its own category of cop movie. It does. So like it, it's up there. It's like End of Watch. You know what I mean? Like remember who we were talking in terms of like reality, right? Where like End of Watch is like the tops. I still think in terms of. That's a tough one, but I'm going to have to say this goes second for me. I'm going to just put it right there tied together because I like, I don't know, End of Watch is good, mm-hmm. but I don't know, Denzel's, I like his character and how it's, I I like how he's like a rotten egg, man. He's a... <laughs> I wonder, you know, I just, the corruption can't, like that can't exist anymore. I don't know, man. It's, imp- dude, it is impossible. You, you, to be that big, I think, Yes. You can't go and just take $4 million somewhere right. and get away with it. Little stuff, yes. I guarantee there's stuff that's still going on. So um, that about does it. Yeah, and that's uh, that, that's about it for End of Watch. It's uh, Training Day. Oh, shit. Yeah, Training Day. Sorry, <laughs> we just mentioned End of Watch. I apologize. Uh, but, it, you know, in terms of realistic, like the most realistic hot movies, it goes second for me. Uh, End of Watch is still my favorite, probably because I can relate to the characters more and it's more of like patrol instead of an investigative thing and still probably a little bit more realistic yeah the only non-realistic thing about the movie i guess is i guess the corruption could be there i'm not saying that that's not realistic because it in that era it probably could be right um before body cameras and all that crap anyway uh but the length i told you of the day it's just like a really long like mm-hmm. it's they have to fit that long story into one day because sure. normally now if you're going into training you're gonna go for months before you actually do all this stuff <laughs> well, called, yeah the movie is called training month training yeah. week training you week. know 
Yeah, no, yeah, they have to fit it all in a 24-hour day, and that would be the most intense day of anyone's life. Yep. So, I mean, like 9 a.m. rolls around, and he's meeting this guy for breakfast, and then 9 p.m. rolls around, and they're in some type of a shootout. Right. He shot me in the ass. (laughs) I'm going to get that gun, and then I'm going to get that money, and you ain't going to do a damn thing, because you ain't going to shoot no cop in the back, are you? Don't do it. You know what they give you for that? The gas chamber. You know what the gas chamber smells like? Pine oil. That's where you headed, boy. To pine oil heaven. I'm going to get that gun, and then I'm going to get that money. I don't believe you got it in you, Jake. I'm going to go get it right now. Oh, shit! Ah, you motherfucker! The next one will kill you. Oh, son of a bitch! You shot me in the ass! (laughs) So, that is training day. Number two on Teddy's all-time list of realistic cop movies. And number one... In yeah. the heart of Dirk. It's t- it's tied with End to Watch, so... There you go. And up next, we'll be culminating this episode, episode 9, with a new Call of the Week. Stand by. Stick with us. On this episode's Call of the Week, it's labeled the Bleach Bandits. Call came out as follows. Delta 211, abandoned vehicle at West McAfee and South Sunset Ave. Vehicle appears unoccupied. What do you got for us, Dirk? You got me on the edge of my seat here. (laughs) So I was in FTO still from my last phase where it's the shadow phase. I do everything. My FTO watches and grades me and just rips the shit out of me. So he just shadows. He just watches everything that you're doing. Yep. Okay. So I get a call, abandoned vehicle, just right at the end of my shift, dude. I was working swings and they're like, eh, Delta 211, can you check this out? I was like, all right. I was going to go back to the station, but... You're like, son of a bitch. You know, abandoned vehicle, that should only take a few seconds. And that's what dispatch was thinking. You know, you can handle it in two seconds, and then you can go back in. All right, call a tow truck, be done. So I get over to the abandoned vehicle. It's facing west, and there is a ton of shit in this car. And as soon as I get there, I look in the car, I'm looking, and there's, like, a bag of tools. Like, I see some ammo in there, and, like, this car's a hunk of shit, right? Mm -hmm. And the ammo, the one thing that caught my eye was the ammo, because it's, like, the brass, or it's not brass, it's the uh, aluminum casings. Okay. And it's the ballistic tips. And I'm like, whoever can afford this ammo shouldn't be driving this car. Well, it's very astute. It was, no, it's just like a good observation. I wouldn't think of that. Yeah, it's just, it came to my mind. I was just like, what was whatever. It, what, 5.56, five, 7.60, five, with three It was, was uh, 30.30. Okay. So it was kind of a weird round, too, to yeah. have in your car. And my sergeant, coming over, being a smartass, the one that I did not like, he goes, yeah, hey, uh, hey, Dirk. He goes, don't you know everybody has a gun? That's nothing special. You know what I mean? What are you doing? Everybody and- has a gun here. This being New Mexico, he magically has a New York accent. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Yeah, so he basically pulled, like, you're thinking, you know, don't. This might be more than it is. And they're just like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, easy, Brooke. Yeah, don't (laughs) push it, you know. So he leaves the scene. My sergeant does because he was making fun of me, whatever. And my FTO is like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'll tow it. As soon as I'm about to call for a tow truck, two guys, a white male and a Hispanic male, come walking out of the alley with a gas can. Oh, snap. So we stop them, ID them, and they're clearly high as a kite. Their eyes were dilated. I mean, you couldn't even <clears throat> see the color of their eyes because that's how dilated they were. I was like, is this your car? Yes. Okay. Well, what happened? Oh, it broke down. We have the keys, blah, blah, blah. All right. So I just wanted to ID these guys and get out of there. Yeah, go home. 
So I push, I was like, hey, you guys need help pushing their car out of the road, whatever. So I was just like, hey, my FTO is cool with me just pushing the road or the car out of the roadway. ID in these guys. Push it out of the roadway. And as soon as I'm done pushing the car out of the roadway, I get a call like a block away. It says that there's a burglary in progress and they stole firearms. And I'm like, oh, okay. So immediately I know it's aggravated burglary, stole some firearms out of the house. And I was right there. So I was like, okay, these guys are just getting gas in the car. They're going to drive away, whatever. So we rush over there and clear the residence and everything. And the house is covered in bleach. Whoever burglarized this house took like two or three bottles of bleach and just dumped it everywhere. Yeah, so they've seen the town and Boondock <laughs> Saints quite a bit, huh? Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking, but I mean, it was just, it was bad. So I went to go clear the upstairs of this apartment and guess what I saw on the stairs? What? The thirty thirty rounds that were matching in the car that I just contacted. Were they spent or were they... They were just live ammo. Oh, so they just dropped them on their way out? Yep. So as they were taking the guns and they took everything in the house, the tool and everything that I saw in that car, they took and put in the back of that car and then their car died. And mm. the only reason why it came out like so late, because we were probably on that scene with the abandoned car for like 10 minutes. Right. Um, is because the people just had came home. And they just noticed. And that's why every criminal should heed the lesson of Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. And that is to have a car that has functioning and has working taillights and headlights so you don't get pulled over by a fucking cop. Anything I need to know, does it stall, does it smoke, does it make a lot of noise, is there gas in it, anything? Aside from how it looks, the car's cool. Positive. Don't get me out there on the road, I find out the brake lights don't work. Hey man, as far as I know, the motherfucker's tip top. Right? Jesus Christ, they had a piece of shit like that and they're like committing burglaries in it it was stolen i assume no it wasn't stolen it was, they owned that car it, the dad so the dad actually was a cop at one point of the guy who was a white the white male mm -hmm. he was a cop for another county and was has since retired so we clear the house we have another officer come and sit on the house while we go back over because i'm like this is totally involved we gotta see if we can catch him sure enough the car's still there the guys are gone but the car's still there so mm -hmm. we towed the car did a search warrant on it, did everything. Sure enough, everything in that car was stolen from the house. Okay. Well, uh, at least you got the property back from... Yep, we got the property back. We got all, one gun, but another gun was taken from inside the car. Mm. Obviously, did they go back after you guys left and grabbed that gun, you think? So after we contacted them, they tried to start the car, mm -hmm. and they realized, no, they can't. So one of the guys put a gun in his pants and then they left okay because when we you know contact people we do the search and stuff like that so we know if we're contacting a party it's safe to talk to them without having weapons on them and stuff like that so anyway yeah so we wrote a search warrant got the search warrant everything was good to go and i ended up finding both of those guys and we arrested them for aggravated burglary how'd you find them so we put out a information bolo mm -hmm. and one of the county sheriffs the next morning says hey i see one of the guys walking obviously he had no car so right. he was walking <laughs> and guess what he had the gun on him damn so yeah we pinned them all with that and they don't even remember contacting we they don't even remember talking to us because they were they so were high up. yeah god for a second there i thought it was gonna be like an ep i was gonna be robert stack and this was gonna be an episode of unsolved mysteries <laughs> did you catch the bleach bandits no they're still on the lamb no and it was the it was probably one of the like, that's actually a really cool call i it's cool that you kind of piece that together when, yeah and it sounds like you know the, well that's the problem too with being kind of a seasoned cop is you think you've seen everything and you've done everything and it's 
Hey, easy there, Rook. It's just an abandoned car. And then you're like <laughs> sitting there with like a magnifying glass looking at shell casings and you pieced it together. I think it's kind of cool that you did that. Yeah, my FTO was uh, proud of me and I wanted to just go up to my sergeant and go, aha, you know, like yeah. screw you. Well, that's happened, you know, with you and me. You've pointed out some shit I clearly missed on quite a few calls, you know. Things of evidentiary value. Yeah. I mean, you got a good eye for that stuff, so. Yeah, so that's the call of the week. In, uh, the call of the week is the Bleach Bandits. Yeah, just don't uh, don't overlook certain things, small small things. They can lead to big things later. I'm glad those slime buckets are off the street. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, that's going to conclude this episode, episode 9 of Two Cops and a Donut. What do we have going on next week, Dirk? Rush Hour. We have the movie Rush Hour. <laughs> we're going to dive deeper into the personnel files. We're going to have a new donut of the week. We're going to, excuse me, we're going to end, as always, with a new call of the week. Dirk, if the listeners out there want to get a hold of us, how do they do that? Facebook, Instagram, and email. Two cops and a donut at gmail.com. That's T-W-O. And as always, this episode is brought to you by Bones Coffee Company. If you want to pick up a bag or pick up any merchandise, any coffee mugs, any t-shirts or hats, go to www.bonescoffee.com. And that wraps it up for this week. That it does. Aim for the bushes. Bushes.